Welcome to Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators, students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. academic calling Kim Whaley. Professor Whaley teaches at the University of Baltimore School of Law, and her primary topics include constitutional separation of powers, administrative law, and civil procedure. In addition to contributions to BBC, PBS, and others, she's a regular legal expert, analyst, and commentator for CBS News. In How to Read the Constitution and Why, she takes readers through the Constitution breaking down exactly what it says and doesn't say, and explaining how it affects everyday Americans. We spoke with Professor Whaley about some key takeaways from the book, including the survival prospects of our Constitution, what our country might look like without it, and what Americans can do to safeguard our democracy. For teachers interested in using the book in class, we have a free teaching guide available at harperacademic.com. So joining us on the phone right now, we have Kim Whaley, the author of How to Read the Constitution and Why. And Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So to start us off, what prompted you to write this book? Well, what prompted me to write this book was reading an article in the New York Times a couple of years ago on a Sunday where there was a reference to the president's pardon power as being unlimited and absolute, which is something I think a lot of people assumed is the case. And having been uh, a law professor for now 13 years, um, what I tell my students is very rarely is the law black and white. It's mostly shades of gray. And that prompted me to write my first op-ed explaining that the pardon power is not absolute. There isn't really any absolute power in the the Constitution because the Constitution assumes every government actor um, is limited by the other two branches of government. So I started doing more op-eds, media appearances on this topic, and then realized there's kind of a foundational uh, lack of what I call constitutional literacy, basic civics, not because it's anyone's fault, but because we haven't really had to talk about how the Constitution works when its boundaries are really being pushed to the brink. And I think that's what's happened in the past few years. Um, And my objective is to bring people to a baseline understanding of how their system of government works so that we can protect it and preserve it. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned um, the president's um, impeachment or the president's pardon power is an example of a common misconception about the Constitution. between what you see in day-to-day life and specifically with your students in class, what are some other common misconceptions about the Constitution? Uh, I think a major misconception is that the Constitution is self-executing. That is that we have rights in the piece of paper or listed on the piece of paper, and that's all we need to do. So long as the rights are in there, um, the protections are in there, we can just sleep easily understanding that we're protected. And the Constitution is like any legal document, a contract, it has to be enforced, or a law has to be enforced, for example. If there's a speed limit and people blow through the speed limit on a regular basis, uh, the speed limit's kind of irrelevant. Um, If a speed camera is lodged on that street, people start getting tickets in the mail, people will start complying and slowing down um, to be consistent with the speed limit and avoid the consequence. If there aren't 
consequences for violating parts of the Constitution or pushing the Constitution's boundaries, we can get our red Sharpie out or black Sharpie out and cross out that provision of the Constitution. As I say in the book, there is no Constitution cop on the block protecting its provisions, but those protections are our voters, are, are us. And I think there's a lot of, sort of complacence with our system of government um, that people assume we can just push on it push on these protections and it'll still stand. I use a, another analogy in the book of um, a bridge over over a you know very um, a violent river. It, it, we can we can have cops on the bridge. Some are in blue uniforms, some are in red uniforms. Um, and I align those with our political parties and people can get very upset about what the cops are doing on the bridge, which kinds of cars they're pulling over um, and you know fight and get into our teams, team blue or team red on the bridge. Meanwhile, if the bridge is eroding, if the bridge is, the structure's falling apart, um, then one day it'll go down and everyone will go down with it. And that's, that's how I like in the Constitution. It's like a bridge. We have to, we have to protect it and take care of it um, because we don't know who's going to be the cop on the block on top of the bridge at any given point in time. It's the bridge itself that needs to be sustained. And a lot of the time these days, there's so much, uh, quote, breaking news, unquote, that people pay attention to the latest thing that happened this week and not talk and they don't talk about or not aware of the larger question which is what's happening to the bridge Mm -hmm. so one of these things um in the constitution that could be violated one of these safeguards is checks and balances and so how as an average american citizen how do we enforce those consequences for if the checks and balances aren't working if they're not being enforced up on that level yeah, so checks and balances is a buzzword, and it's a very important one, but it's never, it's nowhere in the Constitution. And this is another sort of takeaway from the book. A lot of what we think are, um, our rights aren't even spelled out in the Constitution. Checks and balances basically means, you know, no one's above the law, that each branch gets checked by the other two branches. So if the president pushes on a boundary or violates a law or violates a norm, the first thing we should think about is, okay, what happens in the other two branches? Who's going to step up and, and draw a boundary? Is Congress, what are the powers of Congress? And then are Congress exercising those powers? What are the powers of judges? And are, are the judges being asked and exercising those powers? Uh, and so we saw, for example, this week, we've seen a lot of press over the last week, the citizenship question mm-hmm. not being added to the census form because in this instance, the Supreme Court, one of the branches, checked the president and said, no, 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 there's a boundary here. You're crossing that boundary. Um, the, other, the other would be Congress, for example, could have come up to the plate and, and amended the Census Act and said, we're going to establish the boundary one way or the other. We're going to allow the question or not allow the question. Uh, these days, Congress isn't stepping up to the plate. So we have a three-legged stool that holds up democracy. Congress is, is, is not doing its part um, to hold up our, our peace, uh, that, their peace. So I really, and I've thought a lot about this, I think at the end of the day, as individual uh, voters and citizens, we have to do two things. One is educate ourselves so we understand from first principles how our Constitution works and what the issues are. And I say first principles because there's so much misinformation about the law, about our constitutional rights, about the policy issues, even about facts coming across our phones um, and our computers and cable television. So we need to read the original source documents and educate ourselves because that problem is only going to get worse, that problem of misinformation. 
and two is go to the polls and and that's a very i think tired refrain on that people think oh my vote doesn't matter i'm in a red state i'm in a blue state but we're still under 50 percent in terms of voter turnout in this country uh and even with those numbers the house of representatives switched from one party to another so there can be um big shifts in our political process by virtue of going to polls imagine if we were the numbers were in the 90s um, and of course there are barriers to to going to the polls people talk about voter suppression it's really it's real in this country there are other um obstacles to voting i'll be working i'm working on a book for next summer with harper collins on this very topic what do you need to know about your right to vote but even so if, if the masses got out when the numbers were in the 90s i think we would as in on a kind of a grassroots level take back our democracy in the way I think the framers of the Constitution anticipated it would function and that uh, it's really the people that self-govern. It's not the people in power uh, that entrench themselves in power and that tell us how things are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you mentioned, you know, having an, an understanding of the Constitution is essential to understanding our rights, um, which luckily the book does include in the back. Um, and you, But it's not really as straightforward as it would seem. You mentioned in the book that Reading the Constitution is like reading poetry, and why is that? Because it's an old document, uh, 230 years plus years old, and it leaves a lot of terms undefined, a lot of things vague. What does executive power mean? Because if a president's sandbox or his job description is execution, execution of the laws, what does law execution mean? If the president does something that, like say, issues an executive order, um, mandating that something be on the census. We're hearing about that this week. Is that law execution or is that more like legislation, which really belongs to Congress? Who decides the distinction there? Uh, so the, uh, and who decides that? Usually it's the Supreme Court in terms of reading a sort of a meaning into the Constitution. But how it could Supreme Court justice construes the word, you know, execute the laws, so that phrase, or con- construes concept of an unreasonable search and seizure for purposes of Fourth Amendment, like a poem, is, is going to require tools of interpretation. It's going to require the exercise of judgment. It's going to require a sense of, of a value system, weighing different competing concerns and deciding which is most important. Uh, that, that varies from person to person and from judge to judge and from justice to justice, including justices on the conservative end. So when people talk about a strict reading of the Constitution, and this comes up, I think, primarily or, or oftentimes, at least nationally, around abortion rights, you know, that, that there's nothing expressed, for example, about abortion rights in the Constitution. There's a lot of things that aren't expressed in the Constitution that we assume uh, are still our rights, like our right to decide on our own uh, education, for example, where we want to go to school, what our profession should be that government doesn't get to come in and make that decision for us. We assume that's our right. Well, it's not anywhere in the Constitution. And it's that squishiness, that gray area, that ambiguity, that is really important for Americans to understand um, before they get into one camp or another on a particular issue or on a particular Supreme Court justice um, or on a particular uh, political candidate, for example. So in your opinion, this vagueness of the Constitution, for example, you mentioned that the word executive doesn't have a clear definition. Um, Is this vagueness, do you think, a good thing, or is it maybe too vague? Is that a flaw? Well, it has served us this this long, and it's Mm -hmm. the oldest sort of charter 
for a democratic government in the world, and we've survived this long. And a lot of other countries look to us as kind of a beacon on how this thing works. The, the structure is, by definition, has room in the joints. That's what we call a separation of powers, but it's not, you know, there's also a blending of powers. You know, agencies make laws, for example, regulations, and the answer to the president. If we spelled everything out in the Constitution uh, expressly, it would be, you know, pages and pages and pages. It would mm -hmm. be volumes and volumes and volumes. And then the framers made it difficult to amend the Constitution on purpose in order for it to be long-lasting and not sort of susceptible to the whims of whatever the politics of the day are, that we just keep amending it back and forth. You know, there are a lot of flaws in the Constitution and that the vagueness didn't, for example, clarify money and politics. Um, how it, that's become, I think, a big problem in our democratic process that big corporations are now able to basically sway candidates and they're not necessarily then voting in ways that are consistent with what individual voters want. There are other issues, problems, and there's no concept in the Constitution about Democrats and Republicans. That sprung up. Um, the, the framers didn't really like the idea, or some of them didn't like the idea of Republicans and Democrats or different political parties, and that is front and center in our, our, in our democratic process, and some believe that sort of team mentality, that divisive, polarized party over policy, party over individuals, um, has become a real problem in a democracy. So I can't say that this vagueness has, has always uh, led to, to a positive result. I just don't know what an alternative, uh, what alternative would be better. We haven't necessarily seen one um, to date, and uh, that the Constitution can work if people take it as their own obligation to um, that it's, it's your Constitution. It's not going to do the work for you. You have to be vigilant. You, have, an American voter, you have to be vigilant in protecting um, individual rights because if you protect the next person's individual right, even if it's someone you don't necessarily agree with, then you're keeping government small enough that your own rights will then be protected. It's hard to pick and choose who government gets to bully. Uh, government shouldn't be allowed to bully anyone in an unfair way or arbitrary way. That's the idea. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned um, how long the Constitution has lasted for us. I came across a quote earlier um, from George Washington at the end of the Constitutional Convention. He said, I do not expect the Constitution to last for more than 20 years. And in the book, you talk about the prospect of a Constitutional Convention happening where perhaps the Constitution does get upended and redone. Do you think that's likely to happen? You know, I, that's a hard question ever to answer in mm -hmm. these days because these days because I think we're seeing new frontiers when it comes to our government and when it comes to the limits of the Constitution, you know, every week. I think it's possible. I write in the book, report, it's reported that we're a handful of states away, six states from um, calling for a constitutional convention. If that were to happen, then Congress would you know, uh, be required under the Constitution to hold one doesn't mean that if it decided not to, that it, that's enforceable. But say it did. Um, the last constitutional convention we had produced our current Constitution. Some people think we should have one. The, the, the far right or the people on the right politically want to have one to get rid of the tax code, for example, which would then dissolve the federal government. Um, and we would then be a, you know, we'd be a handful of mini sovereign state governments um, without an overarching federal government. 
those on the more pro progressive, the left, want to amend the Constitution or some of them to, as I mentioned, stop money in politics. Uh, the Supreme Court held in a case called Citizens United that corporations, legal fictions, have con First Amendment rights. Because that's in the Supreme Court decision, the only way to stop the flow of money in politics, if that's what you want, is to amend the Constitution. The problem, even the late Justice Scalia, a conservative icon um, in, the, in sort of constitutional thought, said this is a bad time to have a constitutional convention. There's nothing in the Constitution that lays out how that would go. Um, the last constitutional convention we have, as I mentioned, was was called to, to amend the Articles of Confederation, which was in place, which were in place prior to our Constitution. They didn't amend those. Instead, they started over. And it's hard to even fathom today what starting over with a new Constitution would produce in terms of a, of a government. It's hard to think that, that it would produce something that's better for individuals um, versus you know, people that are uh, already in power, corporations, foreign interests that are, in, that, that are threatened by the United States, all of those things. It's hard to imagine uh, what levers of power would be pulled to produce a document um, that they wanted and what that would look like. I think that would be a very dangerous prospect. So I'm an advocate for shoring up and understanding our own constitution and holding hands as we the people, not as we the Democrats or we the Republicans or we the uh, tr never Trumpers or we the you know MAGA MAGA hat wearers, which is mm -hmm. fine, but not not team this or team that. But we the people, we the Americans, uh, holding our Constitution dear for all of us, I think that's the message, that message of inclusion in, in the in-between area, the gray area in our political spectrum. That, that's the message that I think we need to, to keep in mind. Listen, listen you know, our, our forefathers and mothers fought and died to have those kinds of freedoms. They did not want a monarch. And uh, we, we, we can't take that for granted. Mm -hmm. So in the book, you close out the book by talking about if say the people were to decide they want a king, um, should we the people be able to say we want a king, have a, a monarchy again? You say no, that's you know not how that should work. Um, where do you find the line between exercising the will of the people and perhaps in situations like that, people not knowing what's best for them in terms of governance? That's a great question. And this is why some people will, well, you'll hear, you know, when someone talks about a democracy, you'll hear others correct might correct that person and say, no, we don't have a democracy, we have a republic. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means we have representative government because the concern was that the, the masses, the people dire direct democracy will produce factions, um, sort of a mob mentality that the, the better good will go out the window for the interests of um, whatever that faction is. You know, the framers are pretty smart in that regard. Um, and they're also worried about misinformation spreading so people make decisions that aren't in their interest. So, so I think it's really important when we have a group that is America, 350 million people, and um, any group situation, when you get over a critical mass, 40, 50, 60 people, you need rules of the game um, to make sure that decisions are made in a good way. I mean, we see hierarchies in, in corporate America. We see school boards and principals and, and that private sector. Even in, in places of worship, there's a hierarchy uh, in terms of uh, leadership for the flock, so to speak, and I think that that's what we need in government, even self-government, and that's what the Constitution is. It's a set, of, it's a playbook. It's a set of rules. Um, 
so you know we all those of us who've had jobs we go on the job there'll be some kind of personnel manual or at least some rules we might work at a at a restaurant we know they write you have to clock out in and out in a certain way you have to uh, keep track of your, track of your t- tips if you're a waitress there are there are consequences for um, stealing of course uh, there are criteria for getting hired uh, you might have a background check for example all of these things are in place to 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 Save off the bad inclinations of human nature, incompetence, and even you know nefariousness, self-serving interest. Um, that that I think is important uh, in certainly at the governmental level to to prevent what our instincts are, some of our instincts are, which is to amass as much power as possible. And when people amass power, ultimately someone loses, and it's not the person in power; it's the little guy. So so I don't believe um, that this constitution that is. Are what we what we have agreed on as we the people at least um, we agree on every day by paying taxes and living in this country and uh, and enjoying the privileges of that constitution. I, I don't think that includes vote, voting in someone with unlimited power. Uh, that would be a completely different pact, so to speak, between the people. We need to have we need to have a structure for government. That's as I said earlier. That's our bridge. If the bridge goes down, we all lose. Um, and once it's starting to crumble, it's too late. I think. Uh, to save it now is the time to be vigilant, uh, not not after the fact when, when the person in power might not be this president, um, but if we've amassed a lot of power in that office, the next person might be someone that 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 you or I don't like, and then it might be a little bit too late uh, to go back to 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 what we have now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so Kim, one last question for you: um, As Harper Academic Calling, we want to know who was your favorite teacher. So that's, a, that's I appreciate that question because uh, her name was Mrs. Andres, and and she was probably my maybe she's my I'm trying to remember seventh grade English teacher, and I was on CNN I don't know maybe a year and a half ago, and I got an email from her, and I said and she said I saw I heard that I saw the name I recognized the voice I recognized the face I haven't talked to her in you know decades. Um, and she said, and I'm your English teacher from seventh grade. And the reason that she stands out in my mind is because she was tough. Mm-hmm. She taught us grammar. Uh, and she, she ran a tight ship. And, um, and I say this to my own students. Uh, if it's hard, if you've got to struggle with it, if you've got to wrestle Medusa to the ground, right, the, um, the monster to the ground and master it, then you own it. Right then, then you know how to ride the bike. Someone can tell you how to ride the bike. You have to get on and ride the bike. That's how I teach my students, and I think I can trace back to to her and um, and instilling that concept that that you have to take some risks and do do the hard work, and then then you're smarter at the end of the day. And um, you know, I hope this book is a bit of a nod to to that way of being in the world and educating ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great. Thank you so much. I appreciate awesome. it. Okay. You're welcome. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Harper Academic Calling. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite third-party app for more episodes. And be sure to visit us at harperacademic.com for more information about this and other great books.